Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Oh my gosh, hey, you guys can be seated this morning. It's so great to be with you. My name is Joel Johnson, and uh, I'm, I'm really, really blessed to be back here once again. And so um, why don't we get to know each other? I, I see some new faces. I see some familiar faces. So um, let me introduce you to my family. I think we have a picture here of my family. You can see us. There we are. Uh, there's my lovely better half, Casey, my wife. Uh, my two kids, Lincoln, he's 12. He's taller than his mom now. We're going to stop feeding him growth hormone here any moment. Uh, my brilliant, spectacular, beautiful daughter, Reagan. And um, behind us, you can see this is our home, this 1964 Shasta. No, just joking. But uh, yeah, no, it's great. We can pull up to any school district. The kids love it. No, uh, but this is, this is our beautiful Christmas uh, picture here. So glad to be here. I grew up in a single parent household. I grew up raised by a single mom and uh, uh, having one older brother. Um, uh, his name is Jeremiah. And actually, I think we have uh, a shot of him. My, my brother, there he is right there. He's three years older than me. And um, not too long ago, just uh, back in August, we celebrated my mom's 70th birthday party, and uh, I was there. I think we have a shot of that. You can see there's my mom, my brother in the background. He, he painted this picture of uh, me and him. Um, I don't know. He still paints me very oddly just to, to get back at me like older brothers do. You can see me. I'm uh, in Concord where I live in North Carolina. I, I uh, FaceTimed in to the celebration, and this night, something interesting would, would, would occur. Not only would we get party favors, but we would all get COVID that night. Um, and actually, I, I too somehow in my journeys uh, contracted COVID on that very same day. They were in Florida and I was in North Carolina. So I, I don't know how it happened. I mean, that Delta strand, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, it crosses technology. I don't know, but, but it happened. It occurred and we were kind of concerned about my mom, you know, first of all. But my mom, man, she just was, uh, I don't know, she's a tank of a woman. I mean, there is nothing that can stop her. And you know single moms, you know, they, they can, with kids, they, they can traverse any kind of arduous situation. And so my, my mom, we were kind of concerned, but she did great. Uh, my brother, man, he was about, I don't know, a few days into it, and he was starting to have some real trouble uh, breathing. And um, I, I knew for me, while I was going through it, it was kind of scary, some of the, the, the breathing issues that can occur. My brother went into the emergency one night because his oxygen level was so low, and they put him on oxygen, and he still wasn't, um, his, his blood level and his oxi the oxygenation in it uh, was still very low. So they put him on something called the CPAP machine, which kind of forces oxygen uh, into your lungs and into your body, he still was having difficulties. And after about a week, they, they made a decision, and he made a decision to go on a respirator. Now, uh, a respirator, it's kind of a tricky thing, right? It's, um, it, you've got to be induced into a coma, and they put the respirator in. If you're, if you're not in the medical field or you don't have somebody personally that's been affected by this um, it, it takes, there's a lot of issues that can occur. Um, my brother, uh, after he was induced into a coma and put on this respirator, 
Um, he was, you know, you have to go through dialysis because your kidneys uh, don't, his weren't functioning right. There was a lot of other issues that were going on. And many people who end up on a respirator, um, at least in the area that he was at in Florida, um, many of them didn't make it to the other side. So we were definitely in prayer and we were praying and we're like, God, we, we're believing for a miracle. And so here he is. And this goes on one week, two weeks, multiple weeks. And, um, you know, we're, we're just kind of in limbo. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, he finally makes it to the other side. His body is now responding and his oxygen levels are, are um, getting better. And so they start reducing some of the things that um, moving him towards being off the respirator and, and waking him up. In the process of all that, to make a long story short, um, as my brother was waking up, um, he would have a stroke. In the middle of that, lost 95% of his body use. Uh, this is just, this, this happened, uh, that birthday party, the picture, uh, was August 5th, so um, 2021, so less than six months ago. So here, here he is, um, he woke up and he didn't remember who he was. Uh, he didn't, he couldn't move, didn't know where he was. And my brother had, it, had one of the most scariest moments of his life. And he had a decision in that moment to either choose to react to the fear that was surrounding him or to take steps of courage. Um, after he woke up, his memory came back to him. And, and I, I believe he was telling me uh, about three days, it, you know, day number one, he had a few more memories and a few more, you know, thoughts. And then he started into all sorts of therapy and for his mind, for his speech, um, for his bodily movement. He started to gain some mobility in the hospital and he would be in the hospital for three months. So He's, he's staying, he's gaining mobility. He's gaining the ability to remember some things um, and he's getting better and better, but he still couldn't walk. So this was a major um, obstacle, especially if he was going to go home uh, because how do you walk in, um, you know, a town home? How do you get up the stairs? How do you um, do all of these things? And my brother um, just kept moving forward, choosing to believe in faith that things will change. Um, about uh, just a few weeks ago, um, I, I received this picture. And if we could put this one up there. There's my brother. And this, after four months, these are the very first steps that he took uh, just a couple weeks ago right there. Yes. Um, he definitely had the opportunity to choose fear and to choose, um, to choose not to move forward, but my brother is choosing courageous steps, and step by step, he's making forward progress. I just talked to him just a few days ago, and he was like, Joel, you'll never believe it. I, I used my walker, and I got all the way to the shower on my own, and uh, he's just celebrating these small steps of victory, and I just, I just want to speak to us today, maybe with this courageous story, first of all, into our own stories because the atmosphere in our country and in our nation is an atmosphere filled with fear. And this atmosphere will either break people or it will make people brave. And so when you find yourself in a fear-filled environment, maybe something's going on in your family. We know there's something going on in the world and in our country. If you turn on the news, 
you, you, you're hearing the new, you know, Omicron and, you know, uh, some people, call, yeah, it, all, all of the different variations, whether uh, of the word of it, there's a lot of fear. But we have a choice. Will we let this atmosphere break us or will we allow it to make us brave? You know, Jesus, he was born into a very fear-filled environment. I mean, not only was it treacherous, the journey to get to Bethlehem, you know, with Mary and Joseph to have him, but we know the story of the wise men, the Magi, who come through Jerusalem. It's about, Jerusalem's about a half a day's journey to Bethlehem. And so they're, they're in Jerusalem, and they start asking this question, where is the king of the Jews? They end up in front of Herod. Now, Herod has been in power for 40 years, right? You don't win a game of throne for 40 years and not be, you know, cunning and a serial murderer. I mean, this man is vicious. And this is what, read it in Matthew 2. Okay, the Bible is the best ever, right? I mean, it is just, read it, Matthew chapter 2. They come before the king, Herod, right? They come before this man, Herod the Great, and he is... He is the king of the Jews. And they ask him, hey, we're here looking for the king of the Jews. Which Herod begins to think to himself, I am the king of the Jews. They say, we've been following this star and um, we, we are coming to worship this king of the Jews. To which Herod says, you should be coming to worship me. You know, usually people bring big gifts uh, valuable gifts to me, and what is going on here? So Herod is all of a sudden alerted to a threat to his kingdom, and so Herod begins to, um, well, actually, he first gives an Oscar-winning, you know, performance, and he says, please, wise men, when you find this Christ child, when you find this king, will you report back to me exactly where he's at so that I can assassinate, I mean, worship him as well? And so the wise men, they don't return back to Herod. Herod, you know, he just explodes in a genocidal raid, putting all of the babies to Bethlehem, the boys two years and younger to the sword. And so Jesus' environment and political environment was incredibly fear-filled, something that we might not even be able to comprehend as Americans living in a constitutional republic. I mean, these guys were under this dictatorship this reign of terror. And so there was fear that crossed the land. Jesus was born in an atmosphere that would either break a person or make a person brave. But Jesus chose courage over fear. And if we are going to have the same results to not just survive, but to thrive in this atmosphere, we must follow our Savior's courageous footsteps. Now, we're going to be talking about courage, and if I could say that the title of my message today is uh, Courage is Calling. Can you hear it? You may have been broken. You may have set some, faced some setbacks. But will you today take a few courageous steps just like my brother? Back to the road to reclaim Maybe the things that you've lost, and the only way you'll get them back is through courage. Today, I love, um, I want to share with you a definition. Mark Twain, he defined courage this way. He said, courage is resistance to fear. Mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. 
Let me say that again. Courage is resistance to fear. Mastery of fear, not absence of fear. What that means is that we are going to have to feel the, the, the fear and do it anyways. We're going to have to do some things afraid. We're going to have to step forward. Courage is calling. Courage is calling you to take another step forward. We're going to have to do some things afraid. We're going to have to feel the fear and do the right thing anyways, the courageous thing anyways. Now, fear isn't totally bad. Now, there's some positives to fear, right? Fear keeps humanity from dancing on the edge of the Grand Canyon without one thought or, you know, of of the risk-taking. Fear keeps us alive. Fear keeps us biologically breathing. Fear keeps us from doing crazy risks that are just wild. So there's some positive things to fear, but fear will keep us um, alive. Fear will help us survive, but it is only through courage that we will thrive. Fear will keep us alive. It will help us survive, but it will not allow us to thrive. Courage asks the question. There's what courage says. Courage says, if everybody responds and acts out of fear, what will our world look like? If everybody all the time acts out of fear, acts out of self-preservation, what would our world look like? And it would look a lot more like hell and a lot less like heaven if everybody chose to do that. We must allow courage to call us to something higher, to something greater, to live beyond our fear, to live beyond what keeps us in the same place that we've always been at. And today we're going to look at three courageous skills of Christ. And we're going to look at how he lived in this world, this fear-filled atmosphere, how he lived courageously, how Jesus lived wholeheartedly in a heartbreaking world. And today we're going to look at three skills. Now, if somebody invited you here today, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're um, just kind of checking things out here today, you're online and you're saying, I just happened to check this out or somebody shared this on YouTube later on. What If you're out there and you're saying, well, I'm just kind of seeing, checking this whole Jesus thing out. If I could distill down what Christianity is, if I could bring it to one kind of major statement of of Jesus followers, what we do is we look at Jesus and we look to his life and we try to follow. And here's why. Because any man who can predict his death and his resurrection and then actually fulfill that and complete it, we just kind of looked at him and say, whatever you say, it goes, okay? Like you knew how to live, you knew how to die, and then you knew how to live after you died. So if you could do that, then we're going to look at your life. We're going to look at your teachings. We're going to look at the way that you lived. We're going to look at the way that you did life, and we're going to try to emulate how you did life. And so this, today, we're going to look at three courageous skills of Jesus how he was able to live this courageous life in the midst of a fear-filled world. Do you think that this could be helpful for us today? These are three things that are going to help you to make some courageous steps forward, even if you've been broken, even if it looked like you were down for the count, even if it looked like everything was over and you were going, you were, you were breathing your last 
breath? Have any of you, maybe not physically, but have you ever felt like you were suffocating and you couldn't get enough life to fill your soul, your heart, to give peace to your mind? Today, we're going to follow the Prince of Peace, this courageous person, the most courageous person who ever walked the face of this planet. You guys ready for this? What was Jesus' first courageous skill that we're going to talk about today is Jesus had intentionality. Jesus was full of intentionality. And today we're going to go to our first kind of courageous episode of Jesus that's going to show us the intentionality of the Christ. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, Jesus does something incredible and amazing. It says, earlier that day, Jesus had visited the temple. When the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. I'm reading from the message paraphrase because I love the vibrancy of it, right? So there were thieves and there were money changers who were like um, using this worship opportunity to create money. And so they would charge travelers like high, 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 just uh, unconscionable amounts of um, uh, interest on changing their money or selling different items in this place up in this house of worship. Well, Jesus, we, if you're a Bible reader, you know the story. He, he takes the whip and he begins to crack that whip and slap the rumps of the sheep and the cattle. And the cattle create a stampede knocking over the tables where there's money just scattered everywhere. And Jesus has this moment, and this is what he says as he's doing it. Get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture, zeal for your house consumes me. Now, we're talking about Jesus' courageous skill of intentionality. Here's what Jesus does. This is no crime of passion because, remember, Jesus doesn't wear a utility belt that contains a whip, you know? So Jesus has to go to the market, purchase the leather to make a whip, and then he has to go and weave his weapon. Oh, you know, over one, under one, pull tight. Over one, under one, pull tight. He's, he's pulling the leather strands. I, I learned that by watching a YouTube video on how to you know, weave a bull whip. So this is what he's doing. He's sitting there crafting this weapon, and he's going to go out back to the temple and clear it out. This is no crime of passion. This is not under, in the heat of the moment. Jesus has time to cool off. He has time to think about this. This is 100% premeditated. Right, And this, this scripture that we heard here where his disciples remembered the scripture from the Psalms, it says, zeal for your house consumes me when they saw Jesus doing this. This scripture was written 1,000 years before this event would ever happen by King David. So 1,000 years before Jesus ever does it, God is so intentional here that he had already planned to clean out the temple. Okay, this is no crime of passion in the heat of the moment. This is premeditated. It was filled with intentionality. It was 100% intentional. Jesus, here's what he did. He saw something troubling to him. He took a step back. He made a plan. He weaved his weapon, and he cleared out the temple. When we face problems or issues in our life, 
We've got to take a step back, make a plan, weave our weapon or create a tool or find a tool that we can use so that we can clear the way forward. Well, there's a good friend of mine. His name's Mike Griffin, and uh, he's one of my dearest friends, and he's incredibly intentional about what he does for his children. He wants his, fi- his children's financial future to be set, and so what he does is he takes half of the money that his kids get for birthdays, Christmases, um, anything like that. He takes that half of their money, and him and his wife, Carrie, go out on a date. No, I'm just joking, but he takes that money, and he invests it into, uh, uh, into a fund. And so what he has done by doing that, by the time his kids retire, they will be multimillionaires. And so can you see the intentionality that he uses for his children? Credible. It shocks me. But God and Jesus is incredibly intentional. He takes a step back. He makes a plan. He weaves his weapon and he clears out the way. If maybe let's talk about kids a little bit more. Those of you who have kids in here, or kids, especially kids who live at home still. And um, what if you could, um, what if when they're struggling or where they're having problems in school or they're struggling socially or emotionally, struggling in any capacity to honor their mom and dad, whatever, they're, they're, they're in the struggle. What if instead of reacting to that, we would take a step back, make a plan, Weave a weapon, create a tool, find a tool so that we could clear the way and help them clear the way forward. Okay, let's bring home personally. Okay, everybody in here, what if when we're struggling, maybe you're, you're a married individual in this room or would like to be married, and uh, you're in here and you're saying, well, when I'm facing a struggle, maybe it's relationally, uh, maritally, like I said, maybe it's um, financially or whatever. It's time not to react. It's time to be intentional, to take a step back, make a plan, weave your weapon so that you can move forward. What is it that needs to happen in your marriage, maybe here, maybe just in your singlehood? What are the things and the next steps that you need to be intentional about? And here's the great news. As believers, we believe that Jesus Christ has sent his Holy Spirit. His Spirit, once we make Jesus the Lord of our life and we say, you know, you did life, you resurrected, you, you died, resurrected, okay, I, I make you the Lord of my life. His Spirit comes within us and we can ask God to do to Jesus, how were you intentional? I need your grace and your power and I need you to teach me, Holy Spirit, how to be more intentional with my life and then empower me with the grace to actually do it. I mean, we, we've, many of us, we made New Year's resolutions, right? But how are we, and we're, we're trying to be intentional, but we can ask the one who was the most intentional how to actually do it. We can look at his word and his scripture, and that's our foundation, but then personally for how we're wired, our personality type, who God made us to be, and who we are and where we are on our journey, God can actually, Jesus, when we ask him to help us, will help us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So three courageous skills that we're looking at. The very first one is intentionality. Jesus was incredibly intentional, incredibly intentional. We see it here when he cleared out the temple. Okay, second courageous skill that we're going to need if we're going to take those steps forward like my brother to, to gain back 
our life or the things we've lost, not to be broken, but to be made brave in this atmosphere. The second thing, Jesus was a troublesome truth teller. Now, uh, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't pass that. I'm a communicator, so, you know, the triple T alliteration. I couldn't pass that up this morning. But, but what this means is that Jesus leaned in to the difficult conversations. He didn't avoid the difficult conversations. Jesus leaned in on the hard conversations. And not only that, but he wasn't afraid to speak the truth, even if it troubled the other person. Okay, now as believers, we should always speak the truth in love, correct? We should do that. But many of us, were just in love and we never speak the truth. So you must do your best to have the confrontation if there's truth, but you are not responsible for how the other person responds. Now, you have a responsibility to do it kindly, to do it, you know, not in a spirit of anger or frustration, but to speak the truth and to, if, and to speak the truth. And you are not fully responsible for how that other individual will respond, as we'll see Jesus in this episode of Troublesome Truth-Telling. And why don't we turn there right now In Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 39, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. A Pharisee, of course, is uh, one of the religious leaders, kind of the elite, the religious aristocracy, you know, the, 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 the people who were authorized to teach the scriptures. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Okay, so Jesus, before his dinner host had a chance to wash his hands, Jesus has already challenged him on his politics, religion, and morality. I mean, this, imagine this moment. You know, he, he passes this washing ritual. Now, the washing ritual was really important. It was a sign of solidarity, unity, tradition. It had been going on for hundreds of years. So it was, it was kind of like the Romans were oppressing Judea and all of these people that were trying to follow God, reading the scriptures. And so they had this hand-washing ritual that basically said, we are, we are being oppressed as Jews. We are oppressed, but we're standing together in solidarity. We will be uh, clean. We, 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 even though this is a crooked world that we live in filled with fear and a Caesar and Herod and all this stuff. We are united. Jesus, he just walks straight in, reclines at the table. I can imagine him taking a grape, throwing it up in the air, you know, biting it in his teeth. And he just looks at, oh, the hand-washing thing? Oh, you know what? Uh, You guys are good at cleaning out the outside, but inside you're full of materialism and malfeasance. You know, just want to let you know that. Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus was all about the truth. And he didn't mind to trouble us a little bit if it got us to the truth. Do you lean into the hard conversation? Jesus did. You know, if you never have that confrontation, that kind confrontation about the hard things, 
you will always live in a state of tiptoeing around the people in your life. If students in here who live at home, if you never have those conversations with your parents and seeking the truth, not seeking, am I right? Trying to be right, trying to find the truth. There will always be contention and an atmosphere that isn't filled with confidence and courage. Parents, the same thing. If you're teaching or confronting your child, if they're, you know, especially if they live at home, um, are you really seeking the truth to find out what's best for your family and your kids? Or is it about me being right? So I think we can take this. There's so many ways we could go with the scripture of Jesus' troublesome truth telling. But today, I just want to point out to us that our life will be so much more filled with confidence when we speak truth, when we actually say it, we have the hard conversation, and then we're seeking out truth. And this works so well even with work teams. Those of you who are employed and, uh, or, or those of you who are maybe younger students who you're um, working in a group project, you know, whether it's in college or whether it's in high school or even younger, when you're in those moments, if everybody in the group is able to say, all we want is to find the truth. If all parties involved will agree, hey, all we want to do is try, try to find what's best for our corporation or our project for school. When that happens, you're now not confronting to be like, I need to be right in this situation. You're not just debating to be right. You're trying to find the truth together so that you can do the best thing for that organization or corporation to win. Do you see when we speak truth and we're seekers of truth, not seekers of my own ego and trying to look right and my own pride and my own, you know, I've got to be right. I'm the employer. And so I'm always, I'm the boss. Some of you, don't you wish your boss were less about their own ego and more about seeing the company actually win and being able to have those hard conversations. Some of you who are employed in here by an employer like that, you'd be like, that would change our total culture at our corporation. And the same thing can happen if we as married individuals, those of you who are married in here, if you will say, listen, we're gonna have the hard conversations, but all we're trying to do is find the truth of what's best for us as a married couple. With our teens or with our our children and our, even those who are off maybe at college or now out of the house, if we will come together and we can agree to say, we're all about the truth, not about being right. We want to find the truth. So let's have the hard conversation. And all it is, is a pursuit of the truth so that our relationship can be better. So that we can function together and we can see the great fruit that God wants us to have, this beautiful relationships begin to bloom and blossom in our lives. Be speakers of the truth and seekers of the truth. The second courageous skill, Jesus was a troublesome truth teller. He leaned into the hard conversations. Do you? Do I? Today, if we will bring this into our life. Parents, if today, if after the service, you were to talk to your kids, especially if they live at home, you're to talk to your kids and say, okay, we're going to try to seek the truth in all of our conversations. And so if you ever feel like me as the parent, if I am just trying to be right, I allow you to say, hey, are you trying to be right? 
in a respectful way. Are you trying to be right or are we trying to find something that we're trying to find the best thing for our family? If you as a parent would allow that and you as a teen or a uh, live home, you know, live at home child of your parent would have that reciprocity for even your parent to say to you, hey, are you just really feeling this or really wanting to do this? Or is this the truth? This is, is this really the best long-term thing for your life? It would change our families. It would take um, families that are filled with fear and turn them into courageous environments where the truth was sought after. Wow. Wouldn't we want to have places like that? Well, it doesn't happen overnight, but you can take one courageous step and another courageous step forward until you have fully received and have that environment. Jesus was intentional. Jesus was a troublesome truth teller. And let's find out the third skill that we have today. Jesus' third courageous skill is Jesus had masterful moves. Now, Jesus had masterfully appropriate timing. There's a time and place where we can deliver that truth, you know, that troublesome truth. There is a time and place, and there's a time to masterfully move. Now, Jesus, he sometimes retreated. He knew that they were going to arrest him from the Pharisees, so sometimes he retreated. At this Pharisee's house for dinner, Man, he threw a verbal coup de grace, knockout punch, you know, to just say, listen, you clean the outside, but inside, man, you are full of greed and wickedness. And so he, he could do both. He wasn't afraid, but he also had masterful moves. He had masterful timing. Let's look at our next episode that's going to kind of give us this insight into this third skill of Jesus's. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 27 He's back at the temple, um, and he's, he's teaching at the temple. Now, this is only two days after he caused the stampede in the temple, okay? So he just is like driven out the temple. The Pharisees and religious leaders are all just up in arms, you know, and here he is back at the temple two days later teaching the crowd. Now, you have to imagine what the crowd was like. Just take a moment, because this is Passover, This means that there are millions of people who have come to Jerusalem. The city is swelling over with people. There's a buzz in the the city. Jesus is already a celebrity amongst the Jewish people. But now, after he's just cleared out the temple, he is the talk of the town. So people in the the area, they they see Jesus back at the temple. And you can imagine the people just, the electricity in the crowd and the excitement. Like, oh my gosh, we've all been mad about the price gouging in the temple. But here's the guy who actually did something about it. And they want to hear what he has to say. And the crowd begins to swarm in the temple. And Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden, we see the Pharisees. And they enter in, and here's what they say. Show us your credentials, Jesus. Who authorized you to teach here? Jesus knew exactly what they would come to him on. They say they come to him on the grounds of authority. That's their argument. Jesus knew this. Now, in boxing, there's, there's, something, there's, a, there's a, um, something called forcing the punch. And this is what Jesus was doing. When you, every boxer knows that 
when, if you can counter the punch, the easiest counter punch is the one that you know that is coming. So here's, here's what Jesus did. He does the thing in the temple, drives out the cattle and the sheep, and now he's back at the temple and he knows they're going to come and say, who authorized you to be here? Now, these are the same people who set up this crooked system in, the, in God's house. And now they're coming to him saying, who authorized you to be here? Now, Jesus knew he's going to come on those grounds. So he knows the punch they're going to throw. So he counterpunches with this. He says, first, let me ask you a question. You answer my question and I'll answer yours. About the baptism of John, who authorized it, <laughs> heaven or humans? Now, the Pharisees, they gathered together. They were now on the spot and they knew it. They pulled back into a huddle and they whispered, if we say heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't believe him. If we say humans, we're up against it with the people because they all hold John as a prophet. They decided to concede that round to Jesus. We don't know, they answer. And Jesus says, well, then neither will I answer your question. Here's what Jesus does. <clears throat> he pulls them in. They say, who authorized you? He says, well, tell me who authorized John, and then I'll answer your question. Now, here, here's what's happening, right? The people are watching, and they're seeing some amazing theater that day because here are the people, the religious leaders, who have all the answers, but now they conveniently don't know. Jesus baits them in and exposes who and their real intentions on the inside. The, talk about troublesome truth here, but also some masterful moves. Now, the Pharisees aren't done yet. They want round two. So they come back. He's, Jesus is teaching more. He goes back to teaching after this little moment. And um, th they say this. They say, teacher, this is the Pharisees talking to Jesus. We know you have integrity. Teach us the, you teach the way of God accurately and indifferent to popular opinion. And don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It says here, Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Here, I got to give it to the Pharisees, right? Because they just asked a lose-lose question. Should we pay taxes or not. Now, if you're a Bible reader, you know what Jesus does next. He says, give me a coin. We'll, we'll go there in just a moment. And he has this masterful counterpunch. And they say to him, um, should we pay taxes or not? Now, if he answers, you should pay taxes, what they've done is they've pigeonholed him into um, being a pro-Romanistic individual. And the Romans, remember, are oppressing the Jews with such high taxes that they can barely live. And so he loses credibility with the people that he's trying to win over. Now, if he answers, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, they've already laced the audience with followers of King Herod so that they can then be the star witnesses at Jesus's death penalty case for treason. So they've set up this whole scenario to trap Jesus. And now Jesus, he's got to answer this carefully because either way he's going to lose. And so Jesus says, um, um, give me a coin. Someone gives him a coin out of the crowd. Whose picture's on this? And everybody says, it's Caesar's. And Jesus says, well, then give to Caesar's what is his and give to God what is his. And let me just put it into um, greater understanding. Jesus is saying, <clears throat> okay, yeah, we, we'll, we'll give 
We'll give what Caesar's due is. And then he says something that all of those religious teachers had taught these good, <clears throat> these good God-fearing, synagogue-going Jews what, what they had been taught, teaching them for years. He says, and give God what's his. He's basically saying, and don't forget to pay your tithes. Mic drop. I mean, right there in that moment, it says that the Pharisees shook their head and walked away. They exited stage left to the chortles of a snickering crowd. I mean, Jesus shamed them. He baited them. They threw the punches that he wanted, and he countered their punches, exposing who they are. He had some masterful moves some masterfully appropriate timing. These Pharisees were playing checkers while Jesus was playing chess. I mean, he was way out of their league. You know, Jesus was no tame lion, was no, was no cowardly lion. No, Jesus was the lion of Judah. And you know what? If you're a tame lion, a tame lion is never killed. A tame lion is just moved to a circus or a preserve or a zoo. But a wild lion who doesn't fear men has to be killed has to be dealt with, and Jesus has to be dealt with because he's highly intentional. He's troublesome truth. He leans into the hard conversations. He seeks the truth over our feelings, and he has masterfully appropriate timing. How's your timing? And here's the great news with this as we learn our timing and the appropriate time to speak and the appropriate time to retreat just like Jesus would do, is we have the one living inside of us who was all of these things. And so part of this is an intimacy thing with God because we're going to face situations and problems at work with the, our teams at work or the teams at church or in our family or in our homes. And we've got to be able to ask God, God, what is the appropriate response here at this moment in this time? And so some of it, I just can't give you the principle. The principle is get close with Jesus. Meet with him every day. Get a journal. Spend time praying, reading the scriptures for yourself. Let it speak to you in the spirit of God. Speak to you. Write down what you're hearing from God. Write out the question, what should I do at work concerning this issue? Maybe there's something going on and you know in the main leadership that is making everything horrible for everyone, of everyone in the downline, you know, and all the subordinates. And you're saying, do we confront this? Is this the moment to confront? Is this the moment for me just to leave because I can no longer, um, because of my own personal integrity, use my, my influence and my talents to push this forward because it's, it's wrong and it, or it's illegal? These are very real things. Some of you who are younger in your friend groups, can I support this friend group anymore? Should I be a part of this, what's going on here? Or God, help me, show me the way. And then listening to what truth arises, even if it's a little bit troubling. If we're gonna live courageously in a fear-filled world, we've gotta be intentional. We gotta step back, make a plan, weave our weapon, find our tool, so we can clear the way forward. When we experience fear, when we can't push through or we don't feel like we can, we gotta just take a step back. It's okay. Pause. You don't have to react. Respond. Make a plan. Weave your weapon so you can clear 
the way forward. Make a plan. Weave a weapon. Clear the way forward. Speak the truth. Seek the truth. Three, pray and ask God for masterfully appropriate timing. One nugget on this last skill of Jesus, and you can, start, you can play. Fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. So if you are reacting, 99% of the time, it's the wrong decision. We should always seek to respond, not just react to what we're feeling. We respond, not react. So this could be a third point for you here today. Maybe you've noticed that you've reacted and you've been reacting. It's time to step back and say, okay, I see that. What's the plan so that I can begin to create a tool so that I can clear the way? I don't want to just react because every time we react out of what we're feeling, and it's usually fear, it's usually our own insecurity or the fear of that being exposed, that we react to things. We always hate that situation after it's done step back make a plan weave your weapon find your tools, read that book listen to that sermon find whatever it is you need to be able to move and clear the way forward and as you clear the way forward you'll be able to take one more courageous step and another courageous step and what you've lost in the past you will regain one step at a time. So today, will you choose courage over fear? Remember, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of fear. It's the resistance to fear. What do you fear? hard conversation with your spouse, that hard conversation with your boss. Hey, I've been here. I've been killing the game here at work. I haven't had a raise. Could we talk about that? Lean in to the difficult conversations. Speak the truth. Masterfully appropriate timing. just challenging us a little bit because I feel like some of us have lost some ground. If you're like me and my family, we've felt the environment and experienced it. But you gain it back not all at once. You gain it back by intentionally choosing to take one step forward and another step forward and another step forward. Today, it's time to take a step forward. What's your step? Maybe you resonated with intentionality. You know, I need to make out a realistic plan. Not just a New Year's resolution. I need to, what, what is the goal for one month, two months, three months, four? What does that look like? God, give me your grace. And intentionally put that plan in place. 
99% of us need accountability to that plan. We perform much better. So have you intentionally put in those accountability points as you're moving into more health and regaining the things that you've lost? Secondly, some maybe resonated with speaking the truth and seeking the truth. Maybe your plan for a better marriage, for a better family or a better work team is, hey, we're gonna create a culture of seeking the truth, not being right. That's huge. If you could do that this year, oh my gosh, the rest of your history on this planet will be different. The children that will be estranged from you because of the distance in your relationship probably won't. Those who maybe are estranged, for some of us who are more seasoned in life, you can rebuild those back step by step, but it takes some courageous steps forward, and it takes you not seeking to be right, but laying that idol down and choosing to say, I want the truth instead. If this is what Jesus did, and it worked for him, well, then this is the way to more life. Maybe you resonated with the third point. Maybe you don't mind to speak the truth but you just crush the other people who you say the truth to. That's just my personality. And why have you chosen that personality? Why have you chosen to do those things? That's a deeper question. What does it protect you from if you're able to be on the offensive before someone can be on the offensive to you? Just a thought. We seek appropriate timing. Wow, this is, a, this is an incredible, amazing message. Jesus is an incredible, amazing man, and he has such a high, I mean, who he was, this is who we're trying to be like. And he sets the bar high. He's the most courageous person to live on this planet. I'm gonna give us a challenge for one of those three things that we've been telling, his courageous skills in just a moment. But before then, I just wanna give an opportunity. Maybe you're in here, and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, or you've never you know, even heard a Jesus like this before. And you're like, I've never heard, I mean, I've never heard this before. Well, I thought Jesus, you know, was just meek and mild and, you know, humble and the children would come to him and he stood up for the woman who was, you know, caught in adultery and who was going to be killed for that crime. And all. I mean, I thought that's who he was. Yes, he was all of those things, but he's also courageous, also bold. And doesn't it feel good, those of us who are following him, that he was smart enough, intelligent enough, courageous enough, cunning enough, brave enough to to make it through this world and that he can lead us through in the same fashion? Yes. If you're in here today and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, or maybe you have, you've prayed a prayer to make him Lord. But if you were to really look at your life today, you've noticed you've drifted off course. That you were following Jesus, but now you're kind of following your friends or the culture at your work or the culture, whatever, television or internet culture. And you're saying, you know what? If I were to be honest with myself, I need to get back to following this one who did life right and who can bring me life. If that's you in here in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life and to 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 be saved or as Jesus said to be born again like this is a fresh start a new beginning 
And Romans 10, 9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. Two things. Everyone say two. Two things. So we got to believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. That's the first thing. But then that belief has to be so real that we confess it with our mouth. We say, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the Lord. You're the master. You're the king. You know how to do life. I'm choosing to do life how you did life. You're the Lord. And when those two things happen, man, it explodes into eternal life. Not just forever and ever a duration, but a quality, not just a quantity, a quality of life that you can have here and now in this fear-filled environment that you can be courageous and overcome it. If that's you today, you say, you know what? I want to make Jesus Lord. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you've said a prayer or you've made a decision, but you look at the reality of your life and you're saying, I just need to get back on course. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three and I just want you to boldly raise your hand. And if you'd want to make that decision, put it down. Those of you who are watching online or on technology, you can also make this decision. On the count of three, will you just raise up your hand boldly? And just if you're saying, I'm coming back to you, Jesus. One, two, three. You can just lift them up all over. All right. I see it in this room. One, two, three, four. Four in here. Yeah. And there's many more in their hearts who have made that decision. Many of you online as well have made that decision. Right now, I want to lead us in a prayer, and then I'll, I want to come back and just pray over you concerning the challenge of those three skills. Will you just repeat after me if you made that decision online or in the room? Will you say, God, you could just repeat after me. Say, God, I give you my life. I believe Jesus died on a cross for my sin, for my mistakes, and that you raised him from the dead. Now raise me from the dead. Give me a second chance, a new life. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. You're the boss, the master, the king. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Those of you who said that prayer, Um, there'll be some folks who would love to talk with you and pray with you. All right, three skills. Let's just seal this deal. We'll call it a day, all right? These three skills, right? Number one, if God is speaking to you about being intentional, will you just right now, just put your hand on your heart where you're at and just say, God, help me be intentional. If you're in here today and you'd say, hey, you know what, I want to, I need the boldness and the courage to speak truth, to be a, troublesome truth teller and you're saying God I need that courage and that boldness I need you to teach me will you just put your hand on your heart and just say God teach me teach me how to do this thirdly today if you're saying hey I need it I need some lessons and appropriate timing sometimes with my words I'm like a bull in a china shop I just crush stuff I just break it down I break people down you know what what it's a masterful, appropriate timing. That would be you. And you say, you know what? I need your help, Jesus. You did it well, so help me now. Put your hand on your heart and say, help me here, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let me just pray over you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the powerful work you're doing in this room and online. God, we love you. God, we want to be just like Jesus. Teach us to be 
God, just as courageous as he is in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agreed with that today, would you just say amen? Amen. Can we just give us just a clap and a praise? Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much.